Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Behind the Mic with Taylor Medic. I am your host, Taylor Medic, and we're back with another edition of Behind the Mic. We've had a bit of a layoff here in the month of April and into May. Uh, I guess a little spring recess. Had the chance to get out to uh, the mountains finally. First time skiing in uh, probably 11 years out uh, in the last week of April and taking some time off as well to focus on uh, some other things. I, I do have a real job and this isn't the only thing I do. <laughs> but uh, we took a little bit of a hiatus and we hope you've been enjoying these uh, episodes and these conversations where we go uh, into a deep dive with some of the uh, the sports personalities uh, across Canada so far. Definitely sticking close to home where I am based in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. And today, another juggernaut of the Edmonton sports radio scene sports media scene bob stoffer he is the color analyst radio color analyst for the edmonton oilers of the national hockey league broadcast the games on 6 30 ched am one of uh, edmonton's and alberta's uh, prominent news talk radio uh, station and uh, and bob's been doing uh the Oilers for for many years now since 2008 he's been a part of uh, of the organization and and their programming and media and broadcasting and Bob has had uh, quite the career longtime voice of the University of Alberta Golden Bears uh, hockey team Canadian University the powerhouse in Canadian University hockey and uh, Bob was uh, with the U of A for many years as well we'll dive into that and as well he had uh, for the longest time, one of the uh, well, the only sports talk uh, show uh, in the afternoon in Edmonton on uh, Team Twelve Sixty Radio, now TSN Radio. Uh, I did have the privilege of working with Bob uh, on a couple occasions. Uh, my first year in broadcasting and working at Team Twelve Sixty, and his show, Total Sports. Uh, was uh, always great to listen to. Uh, certainly one of the reasons why I uh, ventured into uh, into broadcasting and listening to that show really uh, really excited me uh, when uh, in terms of going into uh, to broadcasting, going into school, and, uh, and eventually get into uh, to sports media. And uh, Bob, uh, just a great storyteller, and you're going to love the conversation too that uh, that will uh, play for you today that I had with him. Um, just really talks about uh, the dedication that you need to have to uh, to be successful, um, the time you have to put in, as I said, dedication, and just the knowledge as well of uh, uh, of sports in general. Uh, you definitely have to know your stuff. You can't just go in thinking you're going to talk about one thing and and uh, and be okay with that bob uh, was very versatile in that aspect you could really talk anything from uh nhl hockey to uh ncaa football uh baseball as well and uh and he uh carries a wealth of knowledge too uh about the game of hockey and, and some other sports as well and very highly opinionated but can certainly back it up and uh, and he is a great model uh of uh learning and listening to what it takes to uh, to succeed in the in the sports media world and uh and again he uh he, he, and he still does he, he the shows that he does uh he now he has a afternoon show 
pertaining to the Oilers called Oilers Now on 630 Chet along with his broadcasting duties as the color analyst. Um, but Bob uh, is a great storyteller and has always uh, has gotten the best out of his guests. And he is, uh, he is the type of guy that uh, he'll bring on guests that will have you sitting in your car when you uh, get back to home or wherever you're going and, and listening to uh, to the interview, whether it's him talking, discussing an item or, or, or his guest uh, telling a story. Um, Bob had that ability to, uh, to retain you um, and you're not just listening to the radio in your car. Uh, I know on numerous occasions, whether it was him talking, discussion he was having with a certain co-host or even just a guest on uh, I'd uh, get to my destination whether it be home or for the rink for uh, for coaching or going to a game if I was uh, broadcasting it uh, I would uh, remain in my car uh, a few extra minutes to uh, to hear the rest of an interview or a discussion so Bob certainly has that ability and uh, he's such a busy man I, I could only squeeze out an hour with him uh, because, uh, I mean, we could talk for, oh boy, we could, we, we could, I wish we could have talked for another hour. Just Bob, uh, is so fun to chat with. And as I said, a, a wealth of knowledge and a great story from, uh, really cementing himself as, uh, as, uh, a, a, a personality really. That's, that's how you sum it up. A personality in, in the Edmonton sports, uh, scene uh, media scenes, sports broadcasting, even just radio in general, and uh, and just being an Edmontonian. Uh, I think everyone, uh, if you hear the name Bob Stoffer, they know who it is. Uh, so let's get into this conversation. Uh, Bob Stoffer, radio color analyst of the Edmonton Oilers, goes behind the mic. Well, I'm pleased now to be joined by a very, very special man, his name is Bob Stoffer. He is the color analyst, radio color analyst for the Edmonton Oilers radio broadcast in the National Hockey League. And I've had the pleasure of working with him over the years in sports radio in Edmonton, Alberta. Bob, how are you doing today? Good, Taylor. How are you? Fantastic. Even better now to uh, to get you on. Uh, you're just uh, a wealth of sports knowledge and, and knowledge as uh, any subject as well. And uh, it's going to be great to uh, not only hear about your story, but be able to share it uh, with others uh, wanting to know uh, a lot about uh, the man behind the mic. This podcast is behind the mic with Taylor Medic. So we like to go uh, deep into uh, some, some very special careers. Uh, let's just get right into it, Bob. For you, longtime uh, Oilers uh, color analyst, you were with the University of Alberta Gold Bears. You got to host your own sports show on many different stations in Edmonton. Uh, how did it all start for Bob Stoffer way back when? Why did he want to get into sports broadcasting? Uh, well, I pretty much, you know, started doing uh, play by play off of table hockey when I was like six or seven years of age. And, uh, I got into hockey because of my cousins. Uh, they loved hockey. Uh, so that's kind of how I got into it. Um, I probably realistically, when I was 15, that I was going to be a long shot to play. Um, I did play, you know, Bantam and Midget AA. Uh, played with uh, a guy named Guy Godowski, who's the head coach at Penn State, and Craig Sturzer on uh, Stu McGregor's Athletic Club. Tied with uh, those guys for the scoring race, as it turned out, they both uh, ended up getting NCAA scholarships, and I never played another game after that year. Uh, and pretty much from 16 on, I knew I was either going to guest or 
or potentially uh, get into, uh, you know, management or coaching or something like that. So that was, you know, I, I, I think I recognized fairly had it. Had I had a little bit, uh, had I had the same drive and the same attention to detail and relentless pursuit, I probably could have carved out a minor pro career for myself. But I, I don't think that, uh, realistically speaking, I don't think that, you know, I missed, I missed basically a year of hockey at 15 and, uh, that kind of held me back, but the passion was always there. Um, you know, I started, I remember in grade eight and grade nine, uh, basically writing the entire sports sections out of Fultondale. We had a little school newspaper type thing. And, uh, and I was as much in a football as I was in a hockey. Like I love those two sports. I uh, had a lot of time at that time for baseball when we uh, we moved into the city when I was uh, f- 15, which is part of the reason I lost a year. And, uh, you know, got in a little bit into college basketball at that time uh, just because of cable TV and college football sports junkie. And, I, Taylor, it's interesting. I've worked with guys that think they're into sports. And, you know, I can tell that they have an interest in it, but they're not, you know, they're, they're not at uh, – the, you know, I was for me, it was nonstop sports all the time, like a little bit of interest in sport or in politics, but a huge, huge interest in sports. So I pretty much knew at a fairly young age that there was a chance that this was going to be the career direction that I was going to take. And it's funny, you know, just you mentioned you work with people that you think they think they know sports. And it's I've always thought that as much as you think, you know, there's always going to be someone who either knows a little bit more about whatever than you and and that's what's kind of fun so passionate but uh, you really have to uh to dial it in don't you in terms of uh, you can't just know nhl you got to know everything i can i can tell in 30 seconds to a minute on air with a guy whether or not you know what if they can immediately react to and not and not bluff their way but have real knowledge and understand concepts and understand uh you know which organization the right way in, in respect of sports and um you know it's it, to me it's it, it's quite apparent and, and actually it, it part of it was noticeable for me when i worked at uh, 1260 with you there were a couple guys there that just weren't into it and you got to be into it. like you got to have a passion that's, that's the biggest thing and if, if you have a passion the amount of work you put into it ends up being it, it's not work that's the point it is a legitimate passion. So I have two friends in town and they're friends of mine. Uh, one's in the sports memorabilia industry and the other one recently sold his company, but uh, works in, in telecom. And those guys can easily step in right now and, and host sports shows and be love sport. They're smart guys and it's a passion for them. And there's a couple other guys that I can think of that I, I know we're bluffing their way. They're not because deep down inside, they didn't have the intrinsic, you know, real desire to continuously improve. And that's the other thing, Taylor. Like, you, you got to on the way in your journey, okay? And then, you know what? You got to want to continuously improve. And so you might get to a certain point and you know, there's some roadblocks in a way and you're going to decide whether or not you're going to make it or not. So, um, influences, but for me, some of those influences, some of the guys I listened to growing up, growing up here in Edmonton, you know, they, they, they sort of played, played a factor 
in how things evolve for me. Yeah, we'll uh, you know we'll certainly talk about that and uh, and let's you said journey. Let's dive right into it. What was your first job in uh, in sports media? Well, that's kind of a it's interesting. Um, in a team called the Primetime Barons. Primetime was the magazine that was put out uh, for Super Channel. And uh, I met a bunch of guys on that team and a couple of them were involved in television at a fairly significant level here at Edmonton, like at the highest level. And I actually got an opportunity uh, to do some work uh, at ITV uh, in the around 1987, 88. So I was behind the scenes that kind of, you know, started it going. Uh, and then I went to university in 1988. And again, I mean, I grew up listening to Brian Hall call football and Rod Phillips call hockey and John Short do a sports talk show. Uh, Wes Montgomery, who was, you know, a fantastically gifted and humorous man with, with a huge knowledge of sport. Uh, you know, he, he at one time had you know more than a 50% share in the Edmonton market. Uh, in the, uh, for a morning show, those were sort of the four guys I listened to on radio, and so I, you know, from basically from the time that I was ten on, I was listening to those guys, and uh, so I got an opportunity to ITV, and then when I went to the university, I ended up uh, volunteering at the campus at the campus radio station, and within a year, it was uh, doing play-by-play uh, with John Sexman, and that was a they, they paid you an honorarium at that time. Um, I know in the eighty-nine ninety school year. When I was at the U of A, I was working at ITV on Sports Night with Darren Detition and uh, with a lady named Annie Stark. She was the producer. And I shot list Darren's highlight packages Monday through Thursday. And then I was doing my own play-by-play of Golden Bears games on Friday and Saturday. I developed a real passion for um, the university and, you know, maybe didn't even recognize that, that as much as I thought I knew. Um, didn't recognize, you know, how good those players were and how committed they were and if there was a life lesson to lot in terms of what was going to be required for me to get to where I wanted to go to. So uh, that's kind of uh, the genesis of where it all started. Well, let's talk about your time uh, at, at the U of A uh, doing hockey early on. You mentioned John Sexsmith, who's a, a big name in uh, in Edmonton in the, the sports media scene. Um, take us back to those years of what the hockey was like and how did you – how did you grow as a as a as a broadcaster? How did you try to find your craft in in an area um, where it's just like you know, hey, here, call the game, Bob. Here's here's the equipment. You and John go. Yeah, well, uh, you know, there, it, it was interesting because CJSR is a pretty eclectic station, uh, to say the least. Uh, but part of the conditions of uh, their their licenses to be you know supporting a university sports so that provided us a window and a mechanism to call the games um and we did three years together john and me 89 and 92 the last year 91 92 the bears won the national championship two of the defensemen on their defense ended up playing in the nhl Corey crossy and herbers i'm not even sure they were the best defensemen on the team there was two other guys uh serge lajoie who ended IS player of the year the next year, CIAU player of the year the next year, and uh, a guy named Garth Premack, who at the 92 National Championships was voted the MVP of the tournament. So they had a really good, you know, defense. Um, they had a forward by the name of Adam Morrison, scored 50 goals as a 20-year-old in WHL of Victoria, 
and he got offered NHL contracts every year that he was at the U of A. He might have been the best player I saw at the school over the years. And that, I mean, that includes guys like Derek Ryan who's playing in the NHL right now. And, uh, you know, uh, Herbie and, uh, as well as, uh, Corey Cross. So, as you know, Adam was an incredible player. Um, the bears were coached by Bill Morse. Uh, the respect, uh, that the, the players had for Bill was off the charts. They loved him. Uh, Bill treated those guys. And this was still in an era Taylor, where people believed, uh, in breaking people down and building them up. Uh, they weren't directly uh, supportive. Like if, if you started up, you know, you sort of, regardless of what industry you worked in it wasn't as proactive as today or progressive as today Mm -hmm. uh you know there was often people kind of wanting to put you in your place and that sort of thing well that's not how bear the bears ran that program you know the 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 fourth and fifth year players unloaded the bus and and the the freshmen loaded the bus you know the broadcasters loaded the brush so alberta had really good teams willie desjardin was coaching calgary uh, they had, the Bears had good teams. I wouldn't say they had great teams. They had uh, the 91-92 team got blown out a couple games in Regina earlier in the season. Regina had a, probably a more talented team than the Golden Bears, but I'd suggest that Alberta was uh, better coached. Um, and so, I mean, I, that's a fond time uh, for me personally when I think back to those three years that I did the games. Uh, John was with me for those three years. And then there were huge budget cuts in the province in 1992. And that's why we didn't continue. There just wasn't the money to travel. I mean, I traveled on the road with the team. Um, I, I skated in uh, three on threes um, at that time. And, you know, at, at 15, 16, I was at 14 and 16, I was playing against some of those guys. So, you know, I was, they used to joke, there was a guy named Doug McCarthy and he's like, you're like the 26th man on the team. <laughs> and so we'd play three on three and they did not hold back on me. Like there was an expectation that I would be able to make plays and be every bit as good as guys that were skating four times a week. Um, you know, I thought I was pretty good. I'll be honest until I went on the ice with those guys. And as a broadcaster, you know, and, and I had an influence. I mentioned that I played on the, the primetime Barons. Those guys were 35 to, to 46, 47 years of age. And they were from a slightly different era and they just let her fly. And, you know, it, it was, it was humorous looking back at it now, but it was a little bit of a different time. And so, um, you know, there, there, there was some, there was some lessons along the way, just in terms of discipline. Like I wasn't as disciplined in terms of managing my time management skills between university and doing play by play. And I ended up working in reforestation in the summer. And, uh, but that said, it gave me a great chance to do some, some play-by-play and then uh as well as you know working at itv on sports night in 89 90 with darren detition that year was a tremendous experience and i left to go tree planting in 90 and that's why i ended up bringing in somebody else to to do it the next uh couple years but i got into a bunch of uh fantasy pools with guys at university some of those guys you know went on to be you know lawyers in town several of them were lawyers in town now uh and they were sort of into cutting edge analytics years before years before we even talked about that sort of thing taylor so mm-hmm. it was a it was a pretty you know it was a fun time i didn't have a lot of money uh so you know i had to work as in the restaurant business part-time and uh to during during the school year as well as doing the games and then went tree planting in the summer that was all part of it i mean there was a sacrifice i know 
and John Sexsmith's job, you know, he case he had three or four jobs at the same age as well. And that's just what it took. Like there was no all sports radio stations back then. Uh, there was no web. You know, there's, no, there's nothing on the internet. There's yeah. there's no sites like the athletic. So there was very minimal amounts of places to go. And the other thing is, I didn't want to leave Edmonton. So after doing those three years, I think I put one tape out for play-by-play and got a call back immediately and found out how little the job was uh, paying. And I didn't want to pay the price at that time to to go work somewhere for, you know, $1,900 a month. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I was making more than that while I was in the university. So, you know, between bartending, waitering, and, and working up north in the summer. So... Um, you know, it kind of it kind of went uh, quiet for a couple of years for me, and then, ironically, again, I owe a lot to guys like John Sexsmith and Bryn Griffiths and uh, Marty Forbes because it, uh, you know, I, John got me back in with Molestar, who produced all the visiting NHL feeds and the home feeds in '95, '96, and that. Uh, that really suddenly I I got to work 35, you know, 35 to 40 NHL home games a year in Edmonton uh, with some of the best broadcasters in the business. I'll be honest, that was invaluable to me. Like there was no way I could express to you how much that opportunity meant because it, it, it showed, it showed to me some of the best guys and what they did, the amount of preparation that they did. Uh, It also showed me how to sell, because we're all salesmen in everything that we do. And that combination really jump-started my career. Because by 1998, you know, I was buying my own airtime for the Golden Bears. Because they didn't have any money just to, to write off the losses like they did in the late 80s and early 90s. Mm-hmm. But I figured out ways to, you know, bring in advertisers on Golden Bears hockey in 1998. And then ended up working for the university in 1999. And you know, really got centered on on going for it career wise. So you mentioned the working uh, with Molestar. That's kind of behind the scenes uh, production for for people that don't know that you got an opportunity to to see not only play by play guys and, and color guys, but just production wise and in general. Maybe touch on that experience a little bit more. All right. So I did uh, what's called Funk Horton Stats, which is a I mean, the stats man, like Brent Musburger did stats for Lindsey Nelson. So I'm going really old school here. I don't know how many. Okay. But like Lindsey Nelson was a a top end broadcaster in the sixties and Brent Musburger was his stats guy. And there's an evolution that takes place with that because you're, you know, you're, you're next to guys that are at the top of their craft. And so uh, now when I did Foncourt, that meant that I was down there at 11 at uh, one o'clock to work. Well, what eventually would happen is I'd show up at 11 to watch, you know, 10.30 to watch the Oilers practice and then the visiting team. And the producers from other teams would realize how committed I was to, you know, trying to improve. And uh, and again, John uh, John had gotten hired. John Sexsmith had gotten hired by Chet. Uh, this would have been in 95, 96. And so that provided me, you know, the opportunity to get a sort of replacement with Molsar. He was an excellent stats guy. <laughs> the, word, the 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 biggest challenge I had is I have very poor handwriting, and you're at that time you're passing you're literally passing little scraps of pieces of paper 
to the play-by-play guys and the color guys, and you need to have really good handwriting. So I had to improve on that right away. But you either could see the game or you couldn't see the game. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it became pretty apparent that, you know, I had an appetite to learn and improve and grow. Um, and so, you know, I worked, uh, you know, some of those days would be 1030 in the morning until straight, you know, until 11 o'clock with a one hour break. But just to be around people like that and you have some of the best producers in the world doing some of those games. Um, and then you have other guys that are challenged. Uh, and you have some of the best play-by-play guys with excellent technical abilities and big voices, and and you'd see the relentless work ethic that those guys would have. And they weren't just showing up with a sheet of paper with the names on it, like you know they had a bio on every single player, and you know what the guy had done over the last eight to ten games, or on a hot streak, or if they hadn't scored thirty-five games, or you know. Now there wasn't a heavy use of. Uh, analytics uh, in the uh, mid 1990s, but I did Molestar from 1995, 96 to until I got the the uh, radio show on 1260 on 0203. So was, you know that was about a six year window, and so you're you know you're rubbing shoulders with the best broadcasters. Uh, you know, there's only and this is on the TV side. I mean, at that time, uh, I guess there's 30 teams in the league. Like there's only 60 of those jobs out there between play by play and color, and then and not every team traveled to radio people. So there's a minimal amount of opportunities, but it was a real good learning experience. Um, you know, again, I, I, I think to the, how advanced analytics has become today, stat wise, it's, I mean, it was so much in the embryonic stages at that stage, but you learned how to, you, you learn how to tell stories. And the other part for me that was important was I could see how they sold their shows, mm-hmm. they sold their power plays, they sold their penalty kills, uh, you know, they got advertisers for the keys to the game, uh, starters, um, you know, the, the, the game stories, all that kind of stuff. And I was able to use that into building a package to do Golden Bears. So in 1998, uh, the Bears made it to the University Cup. It was going to be in Saskatchewan. And I had a couple clients and advertisers that I knew from my days at Moe's Sports Parlor and going to the bar there after I stopped bartending there. And I got him involved in uh, in broadcast and basically bought my own airtime on CGSR to, to broadcast three games for the University Cup in 98 and, uh, you know, paid my own way and did a, so I was a little bit of an entrepreneur. And then in 98, 99, you know, did a 30-game package uh, for the university and got, you know, hockey on. And then in 99, 2000, sort of went to work laissez-faire for the university, uh, for athletics, uh, same sort of situation where I coordinated who was, uh, you know, uh, brought some advertisers in. Royal Pizza was a big one for me. I mean, they were the title sponsor for all those years that we did the games. So I ended up doing Golden Bears again from 98 to 08. I did uh, university part-time 99, 2000, then full-time starting 2000 and 2008 as their sports information director. And to this day, I'll always love the university. I don't love the politics of the university. And in 03, 04, um, you know, started doing total sports for a five-year run before I went to go work for the Oilers. So it was, uh, you know, I got a little bit lucky, uh, but I, you know, stayed at it. And uh, if I couldn't sell, it probably wouldn't happen. Uh, and there was, again, there were some significant contributors along the way that helped make that work for me. What are some keys for someone? I mean, you, you just said you're, you're, you knew you kind of learn how to be uh, a seller before you kind of really got into it. Uh, is, is it just as simple as if you're starting out and you've been tasked with, hey, you got to sell your own show? Is it 
really just building relationships first and then kind of asking for, hey, do you want to, you know, essentially asking for money, um, you know, building that network, then going right in, or is there a key to, to, to cold calling? Well, it's, it's tricky because I think, Taylor, you have to, they at least have to know who you are. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, again, I got, I got a little lucky, you know, I'll be honest with you. I mean, uh, trying to sell university hockey on a campus radio station to a potential advertiser, that's, I, that, I don't think that had ever been done across the country. And so not to the degree that we had by the time I left in 2008, like it was, you know, so, and, and so it kind of, and I do think we all in one form or another are sale, you know, we're all salesmen. Like, you know, I hate to quote, you know, Arthur Miller from death of a salesman, but the reality is we all have to do it one, you know, we all have to do it one form or another. And, uh, you know, I just, it just, uh, I, to this day, I we probably have ten or twelve advertisers on Oilers now. Now, I reach out to them to make sure you know, even though they have sales representatives that negotiate the deals, I still check on all those clients to make sure they're happy at least once a month, just so they know. Like some people think that you know, selling advertising on things like radio and TV is you go and you cut the deal and then you cut, you know, six months later you call a person and Hey, do you want to renew next year type of thing? Mm-hmm. No, no, no. You, you stay, you stay in contact with people to make sure that they're engaged and involved. They're buying you. Like when it comes to a show like Jason Gregor's or what I did for a number of years, which preceded Jason in that afternoon drive shot on 1260, um, you know, they're buying you. That's, that's who they're buying. So, um, again, had I not worked for Molestar, I wouldn't have realized how to sell in game and add opportunities to help us offset and defray costs. So I could do play by play. Uh, you know, I also had to go in a CJSR and sell them on doing the games and having a commercial entity on a sort of a somewhat of a public broadcaster. Um, you know, but their, I mean, their budget was not significant and then the university had to believe in it as well. Right. So, it was it was a multi-layered approach that worked quite successfully for a number of years, and then what ended up happening, Taylor, is Bryn Griffiths called me up in November of 2002 and said, "Bob, if you can sell U of A hockey on a campus radio station, what could you do on a commercial AM radio station with a with an all sports show?" And um, you know, so we started putting the plans together in November of 2002 to to launch a show in February of 03. That eventually led to Total Sports, which started in September of uh, 2003 which went from a one to two hour show so and again that's where marty forbes and Bryn griffiths a guy named carl stark they all he was a sales manager at that time uh you know they, they provided me with that that window and that opportunity and we made the most of it and Bryn, we you know we had Bryn and on the uh, he was our first guest on this uh on this podcast and he definitely spoke highly of you and and kind of that moment and he thought he basically said you know we want to have a, a sports show where we talk about everything and he, and your name came up immediately. He, he recalled and maybe what was it like for you that first broadcast of, of getting uh, an opportunity on, you said a commercial AM station to do your own sports show on, uh, on what was called team 1260 AM in Edmonton back then. 
Well, it's interesting because I'd probably called three to four hundred games by that point. I mean, I'd already done a game in the NHL, San Jose Sharks on ESPN, right? Uh, it was well, not it, was, it wasn't on ESPN, but it was on a Sharks radio network. Oh, wow, uh, Dan okay. Rosanowski had gotten a car accident, and I had done Von Corden stats for San Jose, and they had a um, they had a, a, an open spot for a game in Denver, um, and. Uh, Frank Alvin was their producer of their broadcast and I'd worked for him and gotten along with Frank and and he goes you do play by play right and I go yeah he goes you got tape and I go yeah I got a DVD in my car he goes go get it so during the break he, he uh, you know everybody was out of the truck he turned the lights off in, inside the truck and put the, the DVD in this is in like 2000 and uh, or the CD in I guess it was a CD and put it in Listen for 30 seconds. He goes, yep. And goes, are you potentially available in early January in Denver? And I'm like, yeah, of course. So, <laughs> was, you know, and, and so now you're calling. So I, I know that there are, I'm reading liners for places in San Jose, and I'd never actually been to San Jose at that point. Right. And Pete Stemkowski was doing uh, color. And I, I remember I, I, I didn't kill the like they had a ton of liners and reads that you had to do and uh which you know comes up the territory but they were a little foreign to me and i was a little nervous uh with with just with the formatics because i wanted to get the formatics right mm -hmm. that's a big thing that does that, that people often like on shows and we'll talk more about formatics remind me to talk about that later on but um you know i wanted to make sure i, I got all the, the sponsors reads right but my timing and pacing wasn't terrific, you know, and, and, and then we got into the game and I just started calling the game and he just looked at me and goes, yeah, you'll be fine. And, uh, so we had, uh, I remember they had a return your, uh, unregistered firearms for tickets, uh, drive <laughs> in San Jose. And he kind of looked at me and, you know, Pete's a big man. Okay. Like he's, he was six foot two and 200. But at that time, Taylor, I was five foot 11 and probably 215 pounds. I was in pretty good shape myself. And he just kind of looked at me and goes, yeah, that's a different read than you probably have. And I'm going, well, I'm on a campus radio station in Alberta. So yeah, we're not having, we're not having that. So it was, a, it was, a, it was a good chuckle, but you know, I, again, I'd already done an NHL game, uh, called 300 Bears games, and you, you asked about the first show I did on 1260, mm -hmm. which was just me. I'd already filled in for Bren like uh, a couple weeks. You were used to it, yeah. I was, but I, I will tell you, when it was my show, when it was, which was at that time called Total Hockey, the first show was terrible. Like I was stiff, I was, you know, I, I wasn't enunciating properly. And it just it, it and then by it took me about th three shows where I picked it up and got going and got confident, uh, a little bit more confident in terms of the minors. And the guy can skate and he doesn't skate. You know, I I just didn't, for whatever reason. I by now I'm I'm my own harshest critic, but I I thought I had it. You know, didn't have a lot of energy. And, now, I was still working full-time at the university. So for five years there, from 2003 until 2008, I worked full-time at the U of A, and then I did the afternoon drive show in 1260. And that show took off. You know, I mean, obviously, that, that show really grew over time. And it went from a one-hour show to a two-hour show to a three-hour show to a four-hour show. 
we went from having four clients to having, I think, 22 by the time I left to go to the news. Um, you know, we, we, one, one thing that happened is Kevin Lowe gave us a lot of time. Uh, you know, he was always accessible and available to us. He was the general manager of the team at the time. Uh, I knew the Nichols family uh, and, and, and multiple of the, uh, back to, you know, back to the primetime Barons, the team I played for. Two of the guys on that team ended up being guys on the Oilers Entertainment or the uh, Oilers Investors, you know, the Edmonton Investors Group. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I had a little bit of juice with some of those guys cause I knew I cared and I, you know, and I was an Edmonton guy and I was promoting Edmonton. Uh, and it's interesting because I used to have this discussion with Kevin all the time. I said, part of the problem, Kevin, is when you're fighting every year to be an eight, you never get the players that might be able to get you to a way higher place. And, uh, you know, we certainly went through, I mean, I know you and me had those discussions over it. At 1260, you know, what's you do draft day stuff, and yeah. the Oilers would be consistently drafting, you know, somewhere between, well, let's see off the top of our heads here, uh, you know, 2004 draft as an example. I know I did that draft show. I'm trying, what did that? In 2004, they took both Dudnik and Shrimp. That was like um, 15, 14, something. It was always below 20, 16. It was, <laughs> yeah, it was 14 and 25. Yeah. Right? Dudnik was 14th and Shrimp was 25th. You know, in 2003, they traded down uh, out of out of the 17 spot and got Pouliot. I was actually at the 2002 draft in Toronto and because uh, that was the year that Lupul and Bowmeister, uh, both from Medicine Hat, were going to go in Florida. It told Jay they were taking him, but then traded down from number one to number three to take him. And Jay never committed long term to going there. Like, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. he told him, you know, because at that time there were significant uh, bonus structures for players based on your draft slot. And that came back to bite Florida. And then uh, Lupul ended up going seventh, but the orders took Ninamaki 15th, and I couldn't find him in my guide. You know, that's how far down. Like, he was like the 50th ranked European, never played a game in the NHL. Uh, I, was, I was actually going to fly to the 2001 draft, I was in Calgary. And we got sent back. I was on uh, Ken Nichols' plane. That's Cal's son. And they made us turn around at Red Deer because there was a major storm and they didn't want us to fly through the storm. So we ended up going to the <laughs> – we went to Moe's Sports Parlor in the city south side and watched <laughs> it there. I just – because, you know, the draft is such a part of it, right? So, uh, you know, the Oilers drafted at 14 and 25 and 04. They drafted at 25 and 05 through no fault of their own. That's just pure fluke with how the lottery worked that year. And then the year that they, they the 06, 07 year was the, the year that they sort of fell apart after the 06 run and mm-hmm. the second back half of that season had a ton of injuries. But those five years at, at 1260 were, were a lot of fun. You know, like we, um, Mark and me developed a little bit of a rhythm. He had to cut back the fifth and final year. So we brought a bunch of different guys in with different perspectives and uh, it was, uh, for you know, on a personal level, it was an incredible period of uh, growth for me in terms of, you know, how much I think I improved on the air. Uh, and I still did the Golden Bears. And, you know, uh, the Golden Bears were different under Rob Dom than they'd been under Billy Morris. <clears throat> Excuse me. I mean, Rob had taken, he was a way better recruiter, and he took the team to a way, way higher level. And so... You know, I was basically getting a chance to do, you know, between football and hockey, broadcast 40 games a year 
and then host about 220 shows a year and then have relationships with towards the end, you know, 15 to 18 to 22 clients, um, all the while being the SID at the university of Alberta and having a column in the Edmonton sun. Like it was a lot of work. I was yeah. busy and it was fun, man. Like I, I consider myself to be really lucky to be able to do that stuff. And, you know, let's quickly go back with the U of A teams, uh, university of Alberta hockey and football, specifically hockey. Um, they were a powerhouse in uh, in uh, Canadian University hockey. Always have been, but really at, at the time you were there calling games. How I guess fun was it? Because it's pretty easy to go to the rink knowing you're going to call a good a good hockey team. But how fun was it just to to see those teams play and, and call those games with the talent, and then ultimately getting to call the uh, the national championship? Was it 05 when it was here and it went to overtime? I ended up having to our marketing guy quit uh, one of the. We had the championships in 05 and 06, and we had a, you know, we ended up playing. The, the locket was in 04, 05. Um, we had, you know, this, it was then called uh, the CIS. <clears throat> Stupidly, uh, I think that uh, they should be uh, testing for pot in 04, 05. <laughs> so, you know, we had a case with uh, one of the guys on the hockey team at that time. Of course, now it's legalized. But, uh, there, I mean, it was just... I think that, that that year of 0405, the football program started to take off a bit under Jerry Friesen. Um, you know, under Rob Dom. I mean, the guy had a, I think he had an 870 winning percentage his final five years at the University of Alberta. And he won, you know, he won in 99, 2000, then he won again in 05. And his best, his best two teams were in, 0, in 01, 02, and 0304. I know Dean Millard and me worked together in 0304 in Fredericton and I often think that 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 one loss especially given that Alberta won back-to-back in 0506 that loss in 0304 might have been the best game I ever broadcast I mean certainly the most entertaining game the captain sat there and fenced in the ceremonial face-off on national tv and made it into you know Don Cherry and Hockey Night in Canada uh you had you know five lead changes and 3,700 fans in the game and 3,699 of them were UNB fans, and this is right when UNB started getting really good. Alberta played fantastic and, you know, could have easily won the game and had a disallowed goal that would have put them up by three at one point and then came back after UNB scored three quickly. I'll never forget the game for as long as I live. Like, it was just a heartbreaker. But then the next two years, Alberta hosted. We were, I was involved in all those conversations. Like, I was probably working at that point between the university, which was at least 60 hours a week, uh, and then doing the drive show in 1260, which is another 40. It was 100 hours a week. Um, and loved it. Loved every second of it. So we hosted the, uh, you know, Taylor's, you know, we hosted 05 was at uh, the, the semifinal and finals were at Rogers. And it's just the way it worked out mm-hmm. at that time, Rexall Place. Like it was still sort of the round robin, but they'd structured in such a way that, uh, you know, we basically have a semifinal game in 05 at uh at rexall place and of course there was no nhl that year and so there was like eleven thousand fans and they had a single largest day walk up and whatever they had like seven thousand tickets bought it was a holiday monday and uh, the bears were on the ropes down 3-1 and rallied and came back and benny thompson tied it and benny thompson went one i mean he, he tied it with an unbelievable goal a reverse pivot off the wall blows a slap shot right over the goalie's glove side and, and then he wins it in overtime and 
uh, you know, Alberta had lost. You know, when when the Bears lost in 04, Taylor, we came back uh, on the Monday, and my wife handed me a copy of the Edmonton Sun, and it said U of A folding Bears. You know, they'd gone 39-0-2 before the game that they lost, and one game that they lose 6-5 when they fly across the country. It was I thought it was a little harsh, but it made me chuckle. Yeah, because at least they were getting coverage. Um, so. You know, I did the games for 13 years at the U of A. The team won six national championships in those years, including 07, 08, the last year that I did the games. Uh, Derek Ryan was on that team. And I'm here to tell you, they won six titles in the 13 years that I did their games. And their three best teams that I broadcast never won. That tells you how unforgiving that tournament is that they had structured. So it's a little bit better now if we ever get back to playing. Um, I think I just found out yesterday they might be looking at only a 20-game schedule next year instead of what was supposed to be a 32-game schedule before the pandemic hit a couple of years ago. Uh, they now have, you know, quarterfinals, semifinal, finals. So they, it's a single elimination, eight-team eight tournament. Alberta's always going to have a top-three team. Uh, Ian Herbers is a terrific coach uh, on par with Rob Dom. Uh, they've probably got a better, as good, if not better, recruiting structure than before. They're going to be in the mix every year. And, they, and, and now because you're up to 32 NHL teams, there are there's one or two players every year in youth sports hockey that you can find that you can potentially look at signing. You know, Calgary signed Luke Phillip a couple of years ago. Somebody's going to sign his brother Noah Phillip at the end of next season. So, um, you know, it was a great time. And it, was, and it was a lot of fun. But we had, you know, football was good, Taylor, for a few years. Don Horwood, I mean, I developed a real good relationship with Don. He won three national championships. Um, like, it was... I was the SID at the U of A from 2000 to 2008. The only national championship we didn't win was, was football. We did in the Vanier Cup. And I say we, like I worked for the school. Yeah, of course. Uh, women's, ba- women's basketball won in 99. Women's basketball won in 2002. <clears throat> Volleyball played in eight consecutive national championships finals and won four of them under Terry Danilek. Women's volleyball had won five in a row in the late 90s and squeezed through for a couple after with Lori Eisler. Um, you know, so that's the two, the, the two court sports, the soccer's both won, you know, Lynn Vickery won a national title, women's, the women's won in, I think in 02 or maybe in 2003, uh, Bears won a little bit later on, uh, you know, the women's hockey team won three straight under Howie Draper, uh, I think they won five of the first six years, women's hockey was a full sport, um, they're in the mix every year, they won a couple of years ago, uh, and then Bears hockey last one in 2018 under Serge Lajoie. And probably would have won in 2019, but Luke Phillip broke his ankle eight minutes into a championship game against UNB and ended up losing 4-2. Zach Sodchenko maybe had his toughest game as a goalie. He just got signed with San Jose Sharks to an NHL deal here in the last two months. So, you know, it was, it was, we had really good teams. It was a lot of work. We tried to do every, you know, our website, each of the stories for each team was, uh, um, you know, we, we, we did things as gender fair as possible. We listed women's sports teams ahead of the men's sports teams in each of our weekly releases. So women's basketball went ahead of men's basketball. If you played conference, that went first ahead of non-conference. We wrote game stories for every team that was playing a conference game going in and then game recaps. Like we had, we had by far the most amount of information on our website at that time. Uh, you know, and it was our media kits for national championships were the same for every team. Like we put a lot of work in because mm-hmm. we cared because we had it's back to the same word, Taylor. It's passion. You got to have passion. You got to love it. You got to want to be a part of it. 
and it's not work. If it's what you do, it's a passion. You go for it. And you mentioned that 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 passion and that setup. Was that just you know your you and the university working together on putting out a good product in terms of uh, media kits and, and articles, or did you you know a lot of schools in the states are are really fond of their athletic programs what did you mirror uh, a program down south how did uh, you know why were you guys well, basically have, the leaders uh, in the country in they would sports have information well, and, and i will tell you that since 2008 like the standard for what they produce on a game-by-game basis is not even close like i mean i would call up at that time i'd, I'd call both the journal and the sun on monday morning and try to sell story ideas for the upcoming week um, you know, Global and CTV used to do a little bit more sports back then. So between Global and CTV, I'd reach out to those guys once a week. Hey, you might want to check this out. And, uh, and they were pretty good too. Like they were, uh, a lot of them were like Quinn Phillips just got uh, the Gus Collins Award, which is for, you know, media contributions uh, uh, in, in the Canada West in the past. Uh, um Jason Hill's got that. I know that the big one, the national one's called the Fred Scambetti, who was an old broadcaster and writer uh, that uh, was based in Toronto. And in 2004, even though John Short was on, he was on 930 CJC at that time, head to head against me, I nominated John Short and he won. Uh, just and for me, it was what John did with Don Horde with basketball and how he, you know, gave a, you know, I, I just remember one night. He, I kid you not, he had uh, Wayne Gretzky, Warren Moon, and Don Horwood on the same night. Holy cow. I was thinking, I'm thinking, okay, well, that's that's how you do a show, but that's also, U of A can't buy that. This was like in 19, I don't know, it would have been about 1983, I'm thinking, and it just worked out that way. <laughs> and uh, so we, you know, I, I remember we, you know, ended up, and somebody said, well, you should be nominating yourself because you're the guy on, the own, on your own show and I can't, I, like, I'm not doing that. Like it's, so look, I, I'm always going to care about it. I don't agree with some of the politics that occur. I know what the numbers are behind the scenes. I know how the budgets work. Um, the missed opportunities that are there. Uh, all that kind of, they've got, you know, it's a little bit different today because now there's this fee that the students pay uh, direct to the athletics teams that have helped them a bit. Mm-hmm. And now the students can go, the students can go to the games for free. So that's a, that's a great thing. Um, and it's a different student body than it was when I was there. Like, you know, not, just, just to put things in perspective, Alberta played uh, Regina and Cal- they played Calgary in the 1992 playoffs in the first round. And people were scalping the tickets at Claire Drake Arena <laughs> for those games okay? in 1992. So that's like 29 years ago. And then the Bears beat Calgary, and then they ended up knocking off Regina in the conference final in Regina. But I remember people were people were selling uh, in 91. They played they played in the uh, conference final in 91, and people were scalping tickets then. And years later, they couldn't give away the tickets. So it showed you how much things had changed. Mm-hmm. And uh, but it was just it was just an incredible like to be around that coaching staff. And I didn't agree with them on everything, but those—I mean, those coaches are fighting for every inch of space in the newspaper, and they're fighting for every recruit and every potential, uh, you know, donation. And they're running those programs, and they're like little CEOs. Um, that's and so, but upstairs, well, they didn't have to push me. 
because I wanted to have the best website. And, you, and the, the problem at that time was with the internet is you can, it's, it's just in terms of information, it's just an endless, you can put an endless supply in. Right. Yeah. And you know, I know when we, we went to a modified uh, stats package for the conference, I get call, you know, any a call from somebody at UBC. Yeah, my daughter was shouldn't have been docked a minus. She wasn't on the ice for a goal against in your seven-two win. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, like this is where we're going, you know, because we have people doing that at the games that are simple. so. But it just showed, like, it just showed the amount of. And that's an illustration of the attention to detail. We put a hit, we put a hit counter on the respective stories that we wrote. And let's just say a certain group of coaches requested the hit counter get removed because it showed <laughs> the difference between some teams getting 2,500 views per post game for a story and other teams getting 125. Mm-hmm. It was a pretty interesting time. Um, coinciding with, you know, hosting an afternoon drive sports show where total sports, yeah, we talked about every sport, but really we talked away there 70% of the time. Yeah. Because you, you have to, because you got to give people what they want. And and the reality is we probably should have talked about them 85 to 90% of the time. Because well, that's where the passion is. Yeah, you know, it's an, it's an Oilers town in Edmonton. They love their NHL team. They love their NHL, uh, NHL players. Uh, you touched on Kevin Lowe, and let's go back into uh, the total sports uh, saga and, and era. Uh, I'll never forget the interview you had with Kevin Lowe. Um, during his uh, his beef with Brian Burke, um, where he had his rebuttal about uh, the whole Dustin yeah. or Justin Petter uh, kind of thing, and um, just what was your reaction when Kevin Lowe says Brian Burke's an idiot on the air as a host, and you're knowing you're getting this amazing did he actually, audio? Did he actually use that word? I I I, th- I think the quote was first of all Brian Burke's an idiot, if my memory yeah. serves me right. Well, the irony of what happened is the reason why Dustin Penner became available, he's represented by Jerry Johansson, is because Brian Burke signed Todd Bertuzzi. And that took money away to sign Dustin Penner. And a year into the Bertuzzi contract, uh, the Ducks bought out Todd Bertuzzi. Uh, So that's the irony of that situation. I I was, you know, I was on Kevin's side uh, all day on that one. Uh, to me, uh, it's a mechanism that's in the uh, CBA. Ryan Smith was making six, I think, six point two five million. He signed a five-year deal, of course, um, and, and that's part of it. Is that Kevin's? I think Kevin's popularity, personally, the, the sense I got, took a bit of a hit when Ryan Smith left town. And I'll always maintain Ryan Smith played a, a you know, it, it takes two to tango. That, that situation could have been avoided. Um, I've got all the time in the world for Kevin, and so does virtually um, any business guy in town that's ever dealt with Kevin. And guys that really know hockey have a lot of. And you know what? They him and Brian patched things up mm-hmm. after Brian lost his son. Uh, you know, it was a, it was a it was a summer. It was a, like an early July. I remember it was an early July interview. It was during the 2008 summer, uh, and. Yeah, it's kind of funny because I ended up leaving uh, 1260 about two months later, I guess, and uh, and joining the Oilers. But uh, it was, you know, again, I was quite partial to Kevin on that one. I, I've, it, you know, the, 
the Ducks have a lot of a lot of advantages. Weather's nice there, and there's no pressure to play there. Okay, and you're not you're about number twenty three on the market in Anaheim. I mean, the only time the building's full is when teams like Edmonton come in. I mean, they don't. It, you know, that's it's 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 kind of run like a small market team. Obviously, they're dwarfed by Los Angeles in terms of the market. The Kings win in the Cups in 12 and 14. The Ducks won, uh, you know, in uh, 06, 07. And uh, Edmonton, um, right, I'm just thinking the Ducks won the Cup. So Edmonton beat Anaheim in 06. Yeah. They get Pronger in 06. Uh, I, I, and, you know, we, we broke the Pronger trade. So that was... And pretty interesting. Of course, I knew Jarfi Lupo. Lupo's dad had been in my pools for at that point. Uh, when was that? That was oh, sorry, oh six. So twenty years he'd been in pools with me. Uh, I still I talked to Craig two days ago. So I was actually out for lunch with Craig on a Friday before the free agency period opened uh, on the Saturday. The orders resigned Rollison and Pisani coming off the 06 run, which was an awesome experience for everybody. Uh, and I was out for lunch with Craig on Friday, and Kevin had actually called and had mentioned, what do you think, uh, you know, how do you think Joff would do here? And I'm like, hmm, I don't know. Like, you know, what it doesn't get off to a good start. That's all I could think of, and it didn't get off to a good start. So, but, uh, you know what, I, I everybody I know, I mean, I know you've dealt with uh, Kevin and your professional life you know what it's like mm -hmm. first class guy yeah so i was quite the interview got a lot of juice um i, I had a lot of time for kevin uh, i understood his positioning let's put it that way yeah. I, I kind of you know when you when you're the gm in anaheim you have some advantage over advantages over being the gm in Edmonton. now things are changing things are headed to and I'll explain why we, you know, we can see uh, the orders have got a good thing going here for a number of years, but um, and part of it just has to do with draft slot and where you're picking from, and who you ended up getting. But uh, it was at that stage I was 100 percent on board with Kevin. And then you mentioned moving uh, to your role with the Edmonton Oilers uh, in 2008, getting the the, the color analyst job. Um, Take us back through that process, Bob, and and then uh, ultimately landing uh, a dream job with uh, with the Edmonton Oilers. Well, I mean, it was I had a good thing going uh, at twelve sixty, uh, a combination of a uh, they were going to you know there was going to be a couple changes that were going to occur here um, carrying forward that would have started in the fall of '08. I wasn't going to be the full time SID anymore at the University of Alberta. I'd already decided at that point. I just wanted to do play-by-play -play hockey and football. I didn't. I didn't want to. And the other thing is, frankly, we were selling to the point that, you know, it was going to be, you know, financially. I, I didn't have to sit there and work work every week. I get off the air at six o'clock on a Friday, drive to the university, work until midnight on Friday. This after being at the university from, uh, you know, nine thirty until eleven forty-five on a Friday in the morning. Then I'd go for lunch. Then I'd head over to like, get set up to do the show, uh, do the show two to six, and then be at the U of A from six until midnight. And then Saturday I'd be at the U of A from two until midnight. And then Sunday I'd either I'd catch up or get ahead and uh, be at the university from eleven in the morning until about five in the afternoon. And, and and then know that I'd have to be at the U of A at ten in the morning on the on the Monday. So you know it was 
we were getting to a point where I, I didn't necessarily want to do the day-to-day grind after eight years of doing the SID anymore. And, um, you know, an opportunity presented itself. There's only X amount of those jobs out there, Taylor. And you say yes when they call. It was a pretty simple decision. Mm-hmm. Um, the first year I just did color. I didn't do a show. Uh, Rod Phillips was a, you know, I did the last two years with Rod. He treated me like an equal. He was a great guy. Uh, he had the experience of being, an, uh, you know, a guy who had been married and had kids and uh, watched his kids grow all the while he did the games. And, uh, you know, he was, a, people liked him around the league. Um, Craig Matavish was the coach the first year. Pat Quinn was the coach the second year. Uh, two different guys. Pat was a larger than life uh, figure. Craig and me maybe didn't philosophically agree on everything, but he had passion for the Oilers, and I think he knew that I did too. And I just wanted to see the team be successful. You know, Stu McGregor was the head scout. I played for Stu McGregor. Uh, Tammy came in as the GM. Kevin was still, you know, he was the president. And, uh, you know, there was a decision made. I remember it was in February of 2010 where Daryl Cates came on our show and basically said, look, we, we got to understand the position in. We're in a bit of a rebuild. You know, we, we pushed to, to stay competitive for as long as we can. And, um, you know, they ended up getting Taylor Hall, number one in 2010, and then Nugent Hopkins, number one in 11. Sort of won the lot for 2012 because I wouldn't call out a lottery win <laughs> in that draft year. Uh, and then, you know what? Then they really won the lottery in 13, 14, and 15. Mm-hmm. Let's face it. So, I mean, the team improved in 13. They got the seventh overall pick, Arnell Nurse. And that's a lot on Matt T. Um, they get dry settle in 2014, and then they get a generational star in McDavid in 2015. And that's why fans should be excited in Edmonton because of those three guys. And I knew it right away when I saw them at the 2015 uh, development camp in July. It was at Rex All Place that year. You could see how driven Connor was. Chris Knobloch had coached Connor. He played at the U of A, did uh, Chris's games. Kevin Lowe played a factor in Chris getting the job with the Uri Otters. I stayed in regular contact, and when we won that lottery, I was like, look out. Um, but when your best players are your most engaged and most body, and you got a chance for tremendous success, Edmonton's in the position they're in right now. I just, I don't know about you, Taylor, I look at Buffalo and the mess that's in Buffalo. It could have gone the other way here. You know, Bob Nicholson making the decision to to bring in an experienced GM and an experienced coach that cost the organization lots of money, but it was the right decision. They could have gone the cheap route like Buffalo, and and but you know, you know the Oilers, you know that experienced GM didn't trade yes to the experienced coach put in structure and process, and now the Oilers are you know thirty one twelve and two over the last forty five games. You know that's a that's a hundred eighteen point pace, and that's better than half the season. So they're uh, I, I actually think this year's team is good. I think next year's team is going to be really good. And I think where they're headed is going to be special. And I'd like to think because of my experience in sport and watching things grow and evolve that I might have on this. But it's it's one where, you know, what I I can see it coming because I know when it's been short-circuited in the past. Mm-hmm. And uh, But there's been a lot, I, I can tell you, it's, it's a privilege to do the games. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I get to work with two talented broadcasters that are different that both really know sports. That's a big thing for me. 
Like I like, like I like guys that have the passion in those sports and, you know, Jack and Cam come from different places, but they both have a tremendous uh, passion for the game. Uh, I used to skate with Cam in media hockey in the early 1990s. So he knew me when I was a, and it may be a little bit different personality, maybe a little bit more full of myself. Uh, but uh, I, I think we all feel the same way. Like he can, if you saw how hard McDavid and dry settle and nurse work, and I know how hard they work at stuff off the ice nurse does. That's why I wouldn't bet against his evolution to where he could go. And uh, McDavid speaks for itself. He's, I mean, let's face it. He's the, the, the best player we've seen in the game in the last I know Crosby's a great player. I know Ovechkin's a great player, but this guy's the best player we've seen basically since Gretzky or Lemieux. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Leon, there was a player, I won't name the kid because he's from Edmonton, but uh, there was a kid that had scored 30 goals playing on Dreisaitl's line that year. And I said, hey, is this the guy the U of A should look at? And he goes, well, he'll be hard-pressed to play at the U of A. I can tell you that. But well, he's got 30 goals this year. And he goes, stop. How much you weigh right now? I don't know. He goes, yeah. You'd have 30 goals right now playing on that line of dry settle. Looks this guy gives. He goes, Bob, he's going to be way better than people think. So that was in March of 2014 because Edmonton played PA late in the regular season and then again in the playoffs. And that, I remember telling Scott Howes in that story because Mac T and Scott were running the management team and the team at that time. And I go, well, Clouston swears that dry settle is going to be way better than people think. And guess what, Taylor? He is. <laughs> he is. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. I mean, we remember doing uh, when we were doing the Pipeline show, the comparison um, you heard from some people on the inside was you know, like a Pavel Datsuk type of uh, of point output and even just the way Drysdale can pass the puck um, was just, uh, that was the key that I heard he would be a, a really solid player's his ability to pass, and it's it's pretty evident. Yeah, no question. Well, Bob, I, we're coming up to the end uh, of our time, and we'll have to do this again and talk uh, a little more Oilers. But I like to end off uh, the uh, the guest portion of the uh, the program with a kind of a, f- a ten question flash round, one word answer. Um, okay. So let's let's get right into it. All I need is a small anecdote or, or even a one word answer for these uh, for these ten questions. Uh, question number one: What's been your favorite sport to call or cover? Hockey. Hockey. Number two: Favorite uh, opposing team to call or cover could be all time. Who did you enjoy uh, when uh, when they came to town? Calgary. Flames or University. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, Flames. <laughs> Favorite player to call or cover? Other than McDavid, maybe. Oh, it's a tie between McDavid and Dreisaitl. Uh, for a visiting team, I would say Jerome uh, McGinley or the Sedins. All your years working uh, at the U of A and, and now with the Oilers, what was the, maybe the best team to be around? What single season um, was uh, was a great to to go to the rink and be around the guys? Oh, that's, that's a tough question. Um, I'll, I'll break it into two parts. Um, for the U of A, I'll say the uh, 04, 05, 05, 06 group. Um, they were, I was at a better place in my career 
and you know guys knew they they really appreciated that I was doing the games and uh, were very supportive of me. It was a lot, I, I will tell you a story on that. Um, just to show you what what some of the guys were like. Um, Matty Hendricks was on the team that year. That was the last year he was with the team. And we were doing orders now from the Honda Center. And uh, the extra players would skate at, and stay on the ice after. And the second bus would leave at uh, 1 o'clock. And my show would end at 1 o'clock. And Matt Hendricks used to hold the bus to make sure that I could take the bus back to the hotel because it was about 30 minutes away. Tells you a lot about Matt Hendricks, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a guy I mean, we could go longer. <laughs> that's a guy I wish they yeah. would have kept. Uh, absolutely. Favorite venue or city to uh, to go to? Uh, in the U.S., uh, Chicago. Unbelievable. Chicago is a fantastic city. It's got uh, big city money, but Midwest value. Uh, the fans are super passionate uh, and patriotic. There is nothing quite uh, like, uh, you know, the Star Stangled Banner being sung there. And in Canada, it's Montreal. Uh, I don't agree with the politics all the time that come out of Quebec. They're very self-serving. But nobody, nobody can deny, uh, nobody can deny their passion for hockey. They love hockey. They know hockey. And that's the biggest part, obviously, that sucked about the pandemic is, is we, don't have, uh, we don't have fans in the building. Best advice you've ever received? Grind. That's the best advice. Best managers, grind. The best players, grind. Connor McDavid grinds. Leon Dreisaitl grinds. Sidney Crosby grinds. You want to be good at something, grind. One sport you've wanted to call or cover, but you never got the chance to do? None. I've done hockey and I've done football. Those are the two that I love. Those are like, I've done basketball. No, I'd say, I'd say, uh, you know what? I, no, I'm wrong. I'd say European soccer. Like a Champions League caliber soccer game, mm-hmm. that would be the one. Uh, your favorite job uh, you've worked? It might be your current one right now. Yeah, it'd be the the combination of doing color and then hosting winners now. Favorite broadcaster? Two part question: active at all time. Who do you like? Doesn't matter what sport. Active all time. I think currently, um, you know, Ray Ferraro's Ray Ferraro's a really good color guy. So I'd have a lot. I'd have a lot of time for Ray. I think he's really fair. Uh, Danny Galvan and Rod Phillips. And lastly, Bob, who should uh, be on this show? Who should go behind the mic with Taylor Medic? <laughs> Would be a good well, yeah, guess. Yeah, you've had Cam on, you've had me on. It's pretty obvious who you got to get on next. <laughs> Jack Michaels. Love to get Jack on. Him uh, you know, Him and, uh, and your broadcast are always a treat to... Uh, it's, it, it's it's hey the way the way radio works is the play-by-play guy should be heard about 80 percent of the time and the color guy 20 percent of the time it's radio there's no picture you need that voice so i think jack would be a great get for you yes you're you're absolutely right he's got uh he's got a, a great journey to uh, to share and 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 you as well had a great journey to share uh, with me this morning, uh, Bob. We'll have to do this again, uh, but I really appreciate sure. uh, the time that you took uh, to uh, to come on behind the mic uh, with me, and and you're heading into uh, a playoff uh, like no other. So hopefully it's a, a long one, and uh, we can listen to more of you uh, on the radio as the Oilers go into the uh, 2021 Stanley Cup playoffs. Thanks for your time, Taylor. Take care. See you soon.
Well, what a fantastic conversation that was. Bob Stoffer joining us on Behind the Mic here with myself, Taylor Medic. And as I uh, led into this interview, I said, man, this could have been two hours. Could only get an hour with uh, with Bob on this one. So we'll definitely have to do it again. I mean, we could have, we definitely painted a broad picture of, uh, of Bob's career and, and, and kind of what it takes to be uh, in the position where he is if you're aspiring uh, broadcaster in, in sports uh, radio and you know if you have to do your own selling if uh, you're a play-by-play guy uh, or a host of uh, you know a daily or weekly talk show and uh, you can definitely take uh, a few pointers uh, from Bob on this one but I mean we could do a whole show on uh, on uh, <laughs> total sports his time at uh, team 1260 uh, radio at Edmonton and the show that he hosted uh, we could talk about just university athletics and, and the broadcasting uh, onworks of that, and then of course, I mean, we could we could have dove right more into uh, what it's like as a as a color analyst in the National Hockey League on the radio and getting to travel. And he mentioned his favorite cities, and I had a feeling you would say, I mean, Montreal seems to be. Um, one of the hot spots, but uh, Chicago to a, a fantastic city. I've uh, I like to call Chicago the town I've been to the most without actually being in it. Uh, flown through O'Hare countless times and uh, and driven through Shy uh, Town once, but uh, from what I hear as well, it's it's just a fantastic uh, place to go and a great sports town, of course, uh, with all the all the teams right there. And, uh, and I'm sure that's a favorite stop on a lot of uh, broadcasters in the NHL or, or people just covering, uh, whether it's the beat writers uh, covering their team. Uh, Chicago definitely gets circled on the calendar uh, a lot. Well, that's going to do it for another edition of Behind the Mic. We hope you love listening to these because I said uh, every episode I say uh, I love bringing these episodes to you. And uh, we're going to keep venturing on, keep trucking on. We're going to grind it out. Like Bob just said, you got to grind. So we're going to grind to continue to bring more of these and and more guests as well. And uh, I look forward uh, to the next time we can uh, do this again. And we'll see uh, who will join us and find out uh, who will go behind the mic with Taylor Medic. So thank you again for downloading wherever you find your podcast. Again, if you want to reach out to me personally, talk about these episodes, or if you have a guest uh, suggestion, uh, at Taylor Medic is my uh, Twitter handle and you could learn how to uh, spell my name just by looking on the uh, the graphic for this uh, podcast. So thank you again for uh, joining us for the conversation with uh, Bob Stoffer, Edmonton Oilers radio color analyst. And we look forward to the next episode when someone from the sports media world will go behind the mic with Taylor Mack.